Okay, so if you've all got a handout, just look at me and nod. Have you got a handout? See nodding? Yeah, great. Have you got handouts on that table? Good nodding. Well done. Yeah, great. Okay. What we're doing tomorrow morning is thinking about fasting in the Christian life. Fasting in the Christian life. Um, and my guess is that you probably haven't thought much about fasting in the Christian life. Um, I'm not trying to patronise you, but um, the reason this is my guess is because, if you don't know me, my name's Nick, I'm um, one of the ministers here. I've just started being a minister here just last month, and before that, Harriet and I were living in West Africa, and we, basically a Muslim country, but amongst the Christians we knew, a lot of them did fasting, and it was pretty new to us. Um, but before that, I'd never really come across fasting. Obviously, I'd heard of fasting. I've read about fasting in the Bible. But I've never been part of a Christian culture that fasted in particular, bar one or two um, exceptions. So uh, what I want us to do is to start with a discussion, uh, look at the introduction, uh, without boasting about it. So that's, uh, um, Jesus talks, we'll come to this later, but Jesus talks about fasting. And one of the few things he says about how to fast is make sure you do it in private. So there's a bit of a tension here already. But um, I don't think he's saying you can never talk about it. He's just saying don't brag about it. So without boasting about it, discuss the following. Um, In your tables, what is your experience of fasting? So maybe in your upbringing, churches you've been part of or other Christian groups, uh, your personal experience. And secondly, do you think fasting is Christian? Yes, no, sometimes, not sure. I really just want us to get uh, thinking about it. So have a chat, a um, couple of minutes, and I'd love to just to get some feedback about uh, where everyone's coming from. So have a chat, and I'll, I'll gather you together in a couple of minutes. Okay, let's, let's gather together. Let's gather together. Um, I'm not quite sure how to um, feedback on this, but I'd love... You don't have to say, well, you actually... I. I, I, I fast for 40 days every other 40 days or something like that. Um, but it, j- j- just out of it, just show of hands, um, is, any, is it anyone's practice to fast regularly? Okay, yeah, that would have, that, that's, I, I think I'd have put my, um, well, I'd, I'd have been the same as you, yeah. Um, does anyone just to tell more broadly what's their experience of fasting in terms of, um, has it been part of their upbringing or um, particularly if you're an international here, maybe you've got a, a, a different experience. Um, maybe churches you've been part of. Anyone want to share? Thanks, Julia. Um, when I was a student, uh, I was involved with Operation Mobilisation Prayer Group. And it was the, um, uh, a custom to fast and pray. Uh, Can you just remind us what is Operation Mo- Mobilisation? Okay, yeah. And it was part of the culture of that group, was it, to fast whilst you were praying? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Great. Okay. Any, anyone else? That's even less than I thought. I mean, I wasn't expecting most people to be like, yeah, no, I fast. But has anyone else had any experience of being in other parts of church groups? Um, so my, my experience of fasting, I think before West Africa, um, would have been... Uh, I had a friend I was at university with, actually a friend who um, uh, led me to Christ, really, well, more than any other individual. And um, I, I didn't really see him much after university. In fact, I've hardly seen him at all. But we did speak on the phone a little bit. And he sometimes would advocate fasting to me. Um, 
a minister who I lived with once. Again, he, he used to, I, one New Year's Eve, I said, oh, what did you do for New Year's Eve? And he said, oh, I, I don't want to sound pious, but you have asked me. Me and my wife fasted for New Year's Eve. I thought, oh, poor you. <laughs> and, um, and then I guess I lived with a very charismatic uh, Christian when I was in London for some years. And uh, it was, it was, I, I, we didn't talk about it too much, but it was clearly part of his church's culture. Um, then we moved to the Gambia, Harriet and I moved to the Gambia. And I think within, um, it was about a couple of months, my boss, who, so I worked for a Bible school, he said, um, right, we're going to fast for our, our, our new school project. So I was part of a part-time Bible school and we were taking it to a full-time Bible school. And I can't remember what the specific need was at the time. Maybe it was finances to finish the final building. He said, I'm declaring a six-week fast or something like that. And I thought, oh declaring it's not even asking if I think it's a good idea now he, he, he to be fair to him he was very gracious but the idea was that uh, and he was super flexible about it but he wanted everyone in the school including the uh, faculty and I was on that faculty to fast and to appeal to the Lord and then when we were in the Gambia um, there'd be a lot of fasting and often I'd ask people a lot about fasting and with all my questions sort of eyebrows would start to be raised and it was sort of, do you, do you even fast? And people would say, well, in the UK, the church is fast. And I was like, well, not really. That's not my experience. And, um, and, and just to try to show you how strange that would be to a Gambian, is if I said to you, or if you met a Gambian Christian, and you said, um, do Christians in the Gambia read their Bibles and pray in the morning? I'm not saying everyone in the UK does that. You know, I know loads of people struggle. But aspirationally, I think most people say, well, we think it's a good idea to start your day with, with Bible and prayer. And if I said, if you met a Gambian, so actually most of us don't do that, you'd probably be, oh, you must have a significantly weak church. Well, that's exactly how they'd see us. Well, we've answered no, no one really fasts at all. Anyway, it's my conviction, having been in the Gambia some time and looked at the scriptures, that fasting is a good Christian discipline. And really what we're going to do is today just have a quick think about um, uh, what fasting is and, and why it's biblical. And secondly, next week, I want us to have a brief think about practically um, how do you do it. Now, this is a, a topic that I think um, not all Christians agree on. It's a sense in which that's true for many, many topics. And you might think, um, nah, I still don't buy what you're saying, in which case, fine. But at least listen um, to uh, what the scriptures teach. And be the judge yourself. We say that for most things. Um, do listen and examine them yourselves. Okay, well, let's start off then. Some fasting might not be Christian. Some, well, reasons why some fasting might not be Christian. So um, six reasons I want to rattle off quickly. And um, firstly, um, in fact, we are a nation of fasters, aren't we? We're a nation that is obsessed with our diets. I mean, these days, I think, again, more, more and more recently... Um, since we've come back from the UK, you know, if you're having anyone over, do you have any dietary requirements? I mean, obviously, I know it's slightly different from fasting, but we are, we are a nation that is so keen on what we eat and only eating healthily now. And one of the diets you can do is the 5-2 diet. Have put your hand, I won't, that, that's really bad if you're really into fasting. <laughs> but 5-2 diet, Harry and I have tried to do it, it's really hard. But 5-2 diet is basically you eat for five days in a week and you fast for two days a week. And um, it's basically meant to be a, 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 good, a good way of um, eating healthily. Now, 
whether it's good or bad, I'll, I'll leave to you. But it's not, it's not what we're talking about this morning. We're not talking about um, fasting for the sake of dieting. Not saying dieting is a good or a bad thing. We're just saying it's, it's, it's in and of itself, it's not fasting. Or if it is fasting, it's not Christian fasting. Uh, secondly, many religions fast or many other religions fast. Now, I think this is partly why in the Gambia, it's so on the radar of Christians because so much of Gambian culture, not just um, religious culture, but because the culture is so religious and so Islamic, that fasting, religious fasting, almost becomes part of the wider culture. And actually, we found this was true um, very much in the Gambia. We see sort of elements of Islam, we see pop into Christianity, often sort of minor things or cultural things, but we see them pop into Christianity. And in actual fact, when Gambian Christians come to the UK, they see elements of secularism come into our Christianity as well. Um, Now, in a sense in which that's sometimes inevitable and sometimes it actually um, doesn't matter too much, depending on what the thing is. But just because... um, just because you fast doesn't mean it's a Christian thing. So, for example, um, Muslims fast in Ramadan. They fast for a whole month uh, in Ramadan. Um, there's fasting in Buddhism. I was reading a book on fasting, and, the, and this guy was tracking where they've recorded fasting in different cultures. So, uh, again, a long time ago before the internet, you find fast, uh, finding fasting in Myanmar, Papua New Guinea, the Yoruba tribe in Nigeria... Um, Native North Americans. So many, many cultures have fasted and nothing necessarily to do with Christianity. Thirdly, there is such a thing as not just um, non-Christian fasting, but anti-Christian fasting. So just if you've got your Bibles open, look at um, uh, Acts 23. And this basically records um, uh, Paul's nephew um, overhears about a a plot to kill him. Uh, by his enemies, and um, if you just look at um, Acts 23, verse 21, um, and this is what he says, he says, um, I'll read from verse 20, the Jews have agreed to ask you to bring Paul down to the council tomorrow as though they were going to inquire somewhat more closely about him. But do not be persuaded by them, for more than 40 of their men are lying in ambush for him who have bound themselves by an oath neither to eat nor drink till they have killed him. Now, the Apostle Paul is the great ambassador um, more than any other, uh, particularly to the Gentile world, of the Lord Jesus Christ. So this fasting is a direct hostility to the Lord Jesus Christ. So again, obviously, not all fasting is Christian. But maybe more subtly, again, I just want to flick a few pages on to 1 Timothy chapter 4. Um, And just really in summary, we're told that um, food, and not just food, many things in this life... Um, are God's good gifts to us and are to be enjoyed. So let me read 1 Timothy 4, 1 to 5. Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created 
to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. For it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. Now, there's a lot that, you know, there's a lot to be said. There's a lot going on in those verses. But again, we can see uh, Paul is arguing against this idea of abstinence from food. And sort of how important is it? He's saying well, some people are getting this wrong and they're leaving the faith. So we got, again, we've got to be careful about how we think about fasting because it is possible to fast in such a way or to maybe a slightly better way of putting it, to not eat in such a way that could lead you away from Christ. Uh, let's turn uh, back a little bit now. Colossians chapter 2 verse 20. Again, we're seeing a similar warning about the dangers of a wrong attitude towards food. So Colossians 2 um, verse 20. If with Christ you die to the elemental spirits of the world, that's to say the world's philosophy, why as if you were still alive in the world... Do you submit to its regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Referring to things that all perish as they are used according to human precepts and, tra- and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and ascetism and severity to the body, but they have no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Um, so again, what is... Um, what is the Apostle Paul? What's his aggravation here? Well, he said in Colossians 2, we've sort of, in the background, we've been thinking about Colossians 2 quite a lot, actually, earlier in Sunday school, also in the discipleship groups. And the point of Colossians is all about you mature as you go deeper in Christ. And there are many things that you can do in the name of spirituality, even in the name of Christianity, that actually don't promote Christ. They distract from Christ. And very often what they do is lead to self Dependence. So again, listen to Paul's words. He's saying um, uh, an appearance of wisdom promoting self-made religion and ascetism and severity to the body. In other words, Paul's saying fasting, or to apply it, fasting for the sake of fasting has no inherent value. Not eating for the sake of not eating has no inherent value. But that was quite different to what people were saying. And then finally... Um, Let's look at the Lord Jesus. So flip back again now to the Gospels. Luke um, chapter 7, verse 33 to 35. Um, For the interest of time, I'll just read it. Don't worry if you haven't got there. Jesus speaking now. For John the Baptist has come, eating no bread and drinking no wine. In other words, he's been fasting and you say he has a demon. The Son of Man has come, eating and drinking. And you say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by all her children. Um, and basically Jesus is saying, look, I love eating. Jesus is saying, I love a good party. I mean, I doubt they had cake then, but if there was a lovely cake presented on the table, Jesus would be first there after he'd obviously served other people and said after you. You know, he would love a good chocolate cake, whatever the local delicacies would have been in a day. And he'd have loved to do it with others. Um, and in fact, it's quite interesting in Luke's gospel. There's a book called um, A Meal with Jesus. And it's a great book because it's all about um, uh, the value of community, in particular, how to sort of sanctify meals, how to make the most of hospitality. It's a really good book. There's one comment at the beginning of that book, and it says this. And he's quoting someone else, actually, the author. But he says, Luke's gospel, in Luke's gospel, Jesus is either going to a meal, at a meal, 
or coming from a meal. Now, there are at least nine meals you can track in um, Luke's Gospel, after the birth narratives, but it's eating, 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 eating. So, just to sort of take stock so far, um, in the conclusion, I've written it down there, fasting in and of itself is not a Christian thing. It is the reasons behind the fasting and the heart of the person fasting that matters. So, I just want you to discuss in groups, maybe just... um, Discuss anything that struck you or anything that you're not sure about. We won't do a massive time to Q&A. But see if you can summarise in your head, in what sense is fasting not Christian? Or, in what sense is fasting not necessarily Christian? Have a chat. Just throw some ideas out. Okay, well, we'll draw it together there. Has anybody got any particular observations uh, particular questions or just anyone want to just summarise in what sense can you sort of hone together in what sense is fasting not Christian any questions or comments yeah why do you think someone might do it sort of legal what's going on in the sort of legalistic mindset I'm fasting because For approval, yeah. Guilt, yeah, okay, yeah. There's something about the fasting that will make me more acceptable to God's sight. And I hope, and definitely that is actually the danger of not just fasting, that's the danger of quiet time, danger of going to church, danger of praying, all these things. And it's really good to flag, isn't it? And as I hope is sort of slowly sort of, you're sort of re-experiencing it and relearning it again as we go through Romans that is not the way of being right to God that's not the way of being accepted by God at all but it's true for fasting as it's true for many spiritual disciplines that we can think of these things in and of themselves making acceptable by God and of course that's not it is it it's the cross that makes us acceptable to God yeah okay I'm gonna I'm gonna interest of time I'm gonna move on okay so I've made the case why some fasting is is, is not Christian what I wanted to do now for the rest of our time is why fasting is good. And I've just put health permitting here. Um, I didn't quite know where to put it in. But in one sense, I hope you'll understand this from fasting. That if obviously you are, you are very sick or you're in a physical condition for whatever reason that you just needed to eat food, um, then you know, food is, is a good gift from God. And we're not talking about those circumstances. But why... Would occasional fasting sometimes be a good thing? And the first thing I want to teach is um, that hunger teaches us of our need for God. And I think as I, it took me a real, and I think I'm still learning in many ways. I think in terms of when we went to the Gambia, <coughs> we were pretty convinced pretty quickly that people should be fasting. And the Bible sort of ex- uh, assumes Christians will be fasting. But at the same time, we couldn't quite work out what is the mechanics going on of when I don't eat, when I have a pang of hunger, how is that benefiting me? Um, And that's what you want to think about. So firstly, hunger teaches us our need of God. Now, we're going to go back to the Old Testament now and um, Deuteronomy. So if you can um, flip to Deuteronomy, um, it's the fifth book of the Bible, all the way back. If you can't, don't worry about it. I'll just read it out. So Deuteronomy um, chapter eight, I'm going to read verse, um, really focusing on verse three, but I'll read from verse um, chapter eight, verse one to three. 
So chapter 8, verse 1, G28, verse 1. The whole commandment that I command you today, you shall be careful to do, that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land that the Lord swore to give your fathers. And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live on, by bread alone, but, uh, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Now, again, there's a lot going on here. There's an awful lot going on here. And, um, you know, there's, a, there's an even more profound point that's picked up on, which sort of alluding to, but not making here, is that the ultimate thing we need more than anything else for life is the word of the Lord. But there is this creation, with, uh, there's this um, link with hunger. So look at verse 3, and he humbled you and let you hunger. Or in other translations, he humbled you by letting you hunger. And what's, what the Lord is talking about here, it's in Deuteronomy, the people of Israel about to enter the land. And God has rescued them. But since their rescue, they've had a very, very checkered history with responding to him in the right way, responding to him in faith. So you might remember they come out that um, they're rescued from slavery, a supernatural rescue. There's the 10 uh, plagues or the last one with the Passover. And there's the parting of the Red Sea and they are freed from their slavery. And the first thing that they do is grumble. And then a bit later on, they start to worship God, not as who he is, the creator of an earth, but as uh, a calf. They make the golden calf and Aaron leads them in that. Um, and what does God do? He, he humbles them. He teaches them of their need for him. He, he humbles them by letting them hunger. And, and what seems to be going on there is there is a physical need. There's a hunger. There's a, there's a pang of pain. And that physical need was given to them to lead them to realise a spiritual need, that they needed the Lord. So the physical need, the pang, was for food. But it was to lead them to spiritually understand that they needed the Lord. And I was just trying to think, through, why does this happen? Because a sense in which that you cannot find a chapter in the Bible that absolutely just explains this is what, exactly what's going on in fasting. You have to piece it together. But I think what's going on is this. Um, the physical pain, they, they, the physical pang of thunder reminded them that they were not self-sufficient. They needed something outside of them outside of themselves they could gather the food but they couldn't make the food grow it comes from the lord and that is true for us isn't it we we don't i mean our our supermarket shelves are so packed even in um a time of um financial crisis the supermarket shelves are full and we just don't really think about where our food comes from we don't really think that it comes from the lord we don't think we don't I mean, even if you're the richest, most successful person in the world, you still need something outside of yourself to sustain you. And what the Lord's doing here is he's saying, I've withdrawn food from you, obviously by taking to the wilderness, so that then you'll then realise you need food and you need me. And then, of course, he provides them and he provides it miraculously. And I think possibly that is one of the reasons why in the West we are uh, very spiritually flabby is because we are we are so well fed and we're so affluent again it's a theme drawn throughout deuteronomy again um it says when you go into the land and you have everything you need be careful that you'll forget 
that actually what you really need is me. In other words, you can have all your needs so well met physically that you find that you, you forget your need of the giver. And what it's meant to point us to is a spiritual need. So what's going on then in fasting? I mean, obviously, this is, this is a link. This is, it's not a text about fasting. It's a text about hunger. But I think it's, it's the same thing going on. It's the, what's the psychology going on that takes me from the physical to the spiritual? I think it's this. The physical pangs of hunger remind me that I'm dependent. I'm dependent on food. I'm depending on something outside of me. Now, obviously, you don't have to be a Christian to remind yourself that you need food, but that does humble us. But as a Christian, it reminds us that we need to look to the Lord for all our needs, for, for, our, uh, for our food. The Lord Jesus says, give us our daily bread. We should be praying every day for our daily bread. We sense which we mock him with our affluence. We, we, just, we don't think we need daily bread or we don't think we need to ask him for it. We think we're so uh, secure. But the physical need, the physical pang reminds us that we need God to meet our needs and then looking to him it reminds us that we need not we need him not just to meet our physical needs but to meet our spiritual needs as well now it's interesting this text is taken up by the Lord Jesus Christ on his lips when does he take up this text he takes it up after he does battle with Satan in the wilderness in the sense that he resists him in the wilderness and again let me just read this out to you for the sake of time so Luke um, chapter 4, verse uh, one, 1 and 2. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they were over, he was hungry. What did he do when he fought the devil? He fasted. He fasted. Now, obviously, that's what the, um, Satan goes on to tempt him and saying, don't look to the Lord for your food. Um, but Luke's gospel is a story of Jesus, um, obviously the God man, but hugely the, the spirit anointed man. And as he hungers, he, he fasts for the Lord's help and is provided to him. Now let's turn over to the second point. So firstly, hunger teaches us our need. Secondly, um, fasting happens throughout the Bible, Old Testament and New. Now again, I don't really, um, we won't look at these references too much. Um, but 77 references, apparently, uh, to fasting. I didn't count them all. Um, but in particular, for these circumstances, the first one um, is repentance. So I've put some, put some text down uh, for you there. Um, a good example of this, actually, it's, um, this isn't the Israelites fasting, it's the Assyrians fasting. So you might say, well, it's not, a, it's not an example of God's people fasting, but almost every other example is. I just think it shows it very cleanly. Um, uh, what, what does God want? He wants um, the Ninevites to repent because he loves them and he wants them to repent. And Jonah um, stubbornly but truly eventually goes and he tells them that the Lord is going to bring judgment. So what do they do? They fast in repentance. L- lots of other texts call for fasting as an act of repentance. And again, it's calling for our need for the Lord, isn't it? What do we need? We need mercy from the Lord. Um, so that's a huge time you see it in the Old Testament. Uh, second time you hugely see it, um, old and new, is in times of great need, either for a, 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 a practical thing um, or for wisdom. So again, um, Psalm 35 verse 13, I think I put that in your handout. And the psalmist talks about he fasted for his friend who was sick. 
Well, actually, the friend turns out to be his enemy, but his point is, I loved him so much, I even fasted for him so that he'd get better. Uh, we can see it in uh, Nehemiah. When Nehemiah hears about the state of Jerusalem, he, he is devastated and he fasts towards the Lord for his help. Uh, Acts uh, chapter 13 and Acts 14, we see examples of, remember, this is Christians now, uh, New Covenant Christians. We see an example of the, the leaders of God's people fasting. Uh, the text I put down, it's after this fasting, Paul and Barnabas get sent off in mission. So, uh, hunger teacher our need of the Lord. Uh, we see fasting throughout the scriptures. And finally, Jesus assumes that fasting will take place. Now, I've sort of referenced this one. In fact, let's turn, it, let's, let, let's turn to it. So, Matthew chapter 6, verse 16 to 18. Um, You'll be very familiar with these words, but let me read them out to you. Jesus says, and when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces. He goes on, verse 17, but when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face. Basically saying so that no one else sees your fasting, but that your father in heaven sees your fasting. Now, you could say, oh, he's only talking about the fasting at the time because they did it then because we're still talking about pre-New Covenant, the Spirit-given age. But that's quite unlikely because the other examples he gives about what it means to be a citizen of the kingdom of heaven is to pray in secret and to give money in secret. So he's, it's unlikely that he'd use praying and giving money that obviously Christians continue to do, but fasting something that you don't do. I guess it's technically possible, but I thought unlikely. Perhaps more convincingly, though, look at, um, turn over a couple of pages to Matthew 9, verse uh, 14 to 17. Um, the passage sort of speaks for itself. You'll probably be quite familiar with it. I'll read it out. Matthew 9, 14, 17. Then the disciples of John came to him, saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast? But your disciples do not fast. And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. No one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch tears away from the garment, and a worse tear is made. Neither is new wine put into old wineskins. If it is, the skins burst, and the wine is spilled, and the skins are destroyed. But new wine is put into fresh wineskins, and so both are preserved. Um, now, really, the main... Jesus is making a huge claim here that he is the bridegroom um, for his people. And just some lovely, lovely Old Testament imagery he's picking up on. And it's about the bri- God the bride loving the bridegroom. Loving, in other words, Jesus loving the church like a husband loves a wife uh, on their wedding day beautiful pictures and this is the answer he gives to um why aren't your disciples fasting and um we thought about haven't we fasting is uh, talking about um our our great need isn't it it's a recognition of our great spiritual need in particular for god's mercy but also practical needs but jesus is saying you can't fast now you can't fast now that i'm here 
because the bridegroom is it. I mean, in one sense, it would be crazy, wouldn't it, to have a wedding, um, get married, and to have a fart, have no party, nothing like that. But that imagery is what Jesus is saying the gospel is, because when I'm here, Jesus is coming to meet all the needs of his people. Of course, he meets the spiritual needs um, through forgiveness of sins and our justification. That's what we need most. But of course, when he returns on the great wedding day that is looked for in the future, it is every single need met. Very often, uh, new creation is pictured of as a feast, isn't it? Um, Jesus coming down from heaven as, um, sorry, um, Jerusalem coming down as a bridegroom dressed for her husband, beautifully dressed. It's going to be a celebration and every one of our needs are met. Our spiritual needs are met now, but we still live in a fallen world. But one day, Jesus is going to return and we will not have even a, a, a physical need. Many of Jesus' parables, remember, are of wedding feasts and the wonder that it will be. And Jesus is saying that you can't fast now because I have come to meet all your needs. But then he says, um, uh, verse 14b, the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them and then they will fast. So see, you can't fast now, but the times will come when you will fast again because the bridegroom is going to be taken away. Now you could say, um, is that, that maybe that's just the one day, that's the, that's the Easter Saturday as it were because the bridegroom's taken away and now he's back again with us by his spirit. But actually, again and again, the, Jesus being the bridegroom, that language is of him returning him being present once, and then him returning. And of course we see, don't we, um, if it was only Easter Saturday that he was talking about, the bridegroom taking away them not eating, that wouldn't make sense, would it, of the fasting that goes on in, say, the book of Acts. So fasting now, what are we doing when we fast now? We don't fast, or the disciples didn't fast, because Jesus was here with them. Or there, I should say. He was there with them. And then he's saying, but now there will be a task fasting because the bridegroom is being taken away. And so we're fasting. And what are we fasting to do? We are fasting. I think the needs are still the same, aren't they? For repentance and for other needs that we might have, for wisdom, for practical needs. And then when the Lord Jesus Christ comes, he will, there will never be any need for abstract wisdom because we will see God face to face and be perfectly filled with his spirit and perfectly know, know his will. We will never have any practical needs because there'll be nothing that ever goes wrong uh, in glory that we don't have. Um, uh, well, the reason nothing will ever go wrong is because all our needs are always, always met. So what are we doing now when we fast? Now in fasting, we remind ourselves that we're dependent on the Lord Jesus Christ. And the hunger of fasting is the reminder that we depend on God to meet all our needs. The physical reminds us of the spiritual and then we look to him. So let me just conclude. Um, I'm going to stop here, but we're going to continue next week. Fasting can greatly help a Christian in their dependence on and longing for God. So just in case you have any illusions, uh, to fast... Uh, does not mean you are more blessed by God. To fast does not win his approval. Uh, To fast does not give you more confidence to approach God. All these things we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. But fasting can be good because it reminds ourselves of our needs and it reminds ourselves where to look for those needs. Now, I'm pretty much going to close it there. I just wondered, um, 
and it might help me for next week, because next week you're going to get more practical. I'm going to think about, well, how do we do this? How does one fast? Um, does anyone have any questions or comments on the back of that? We've got two minutes. Uh, Sally, yeah. Yeah, great. Okay. Um, yeah, I think there's a place in the Christian life for both, but maybe we'll cover that next week. Is that okay? Yeah, great. Was Juliet, was it your one? No. Um, yeah. Yeah. Or fasting from Netflix or not necessarily involving food. Yeah. So is that actually fasting and how should we consider that? Yeah, thanks. That might be for next week. I think it is but let me try and say something about it now. Um I I think again I'm not fully made up in my mind this. I think those things are really good things to do, but I don't quite think they're the same as fasting. Um as in, I think fasting is a distinct thing from self-control. And I think those things are more self-control. And you may, for example, say Netflix or something, is it good? Is it, or, or just more generally, watching TV, it's less emotive. Is it a good thing or is it a bad thing? Well, it's a neutral thing. Obviously, it depends how you do it, what you're watching in your heart, etc. But it may well be that you are not living a, a wise life in watching too much TV. Or you may want to kick... St- I mean, it's the way we're wired we form habits, we start to do things subconsciously. And sometimes to break a habit, you need to, um, I'm trying to use instead of the word fast, you need to go cold turkey, there you go. You need to go cold turkey from that habit. That's obviously a fasting concept. Um, and so, um, no, I don't quite think that's what, I, I think those things are really, really good things to do. So if someone says to me, actually, I've just decided to spend a month not watching TV, for instance, my general reaction to that to me, that sounds like a really sensible thing to do. But if someone says, I'm never watching TV because it's sinful, you say, well, hold on a second. That's not quite what the scriptures say. So I, I think when we're talking about fasting, we're talking actual food and or food and drink fasting, um, slightly depending on how you interpret it. Um, but I don't, what I'm not saying is those things are bad things to do, having a break from whatever, particularly if you have a habit. We're all creatures of habit, aren't we? Um, Good, I mean, so reminded me, good habits is like when you leave the house with your keys and your wallet and your phone. It's just a habit. You don't have to think about those things. It's become automated in you. It's not automated in me, unfortunately, those three things. But they're also, and that's a habit, isn't it? But a bad habit is what you do. You get up in the morning and straight away you're getting your phone on social media. That's probably not a particularly productive habit. But sometimes the only way to break those things is to go cold turkey. But I'm not talking about going cold turkey in general from things talking about food fasting but uh again not 100% made my mind up on that yet um Jonty's not here he knows I'm doing fasting I'm not like taking on some radical topic in his absence (laughs) (laughs) and so for that just going back to Sally's question I'm not going to start advocating we do a a fast um you know uh as a as a uh as a corporate body at all and I know Christians think quite differently on this as well but I'm pretty convinced and I hope you can see it's quite hard to say Christians shouldn't be fasting when you look at the teaching of Jesus and the practice of the apostles. But um, it's taken us a long time, Harry and I, to think about fasting um, and to clarify in our head what it actually is. And so really, I'm just trying to um, get the ball rolling in your sort of uh, spiritual mind, as it were. And as we talk about next week, I'll do a brief recap of the theology of it and then some practice of what it might look like for an individual, what it might 
I'm, I might even keep it at the individual level. I haven't decided yet. But with that in mind, um, we've got 13 minutes before the service starts. Um, so uh, let us pray. Father in heaven, uh, we thank you for this time to look at these topics and examine them. Um, and we pray that you'd make us wise. And Father, we pray that we would see that our needs are far greater than food. Um, the Lord Jesus Christ reminded us that we do not live on bread alone, but from every word that comes from you. And we pray that we would seek our needs from you. Yes, our physical needs are important and our spiritual needs are important too. Would we not stop looking to you for our needs and help us not to be haughty and proud that in our wealth we stop looking to you. And we pray you'd, you'd make us wise in the area of fasting as well. In Jesus' name. Amen.